Hello everyone, I'm PJ, co-founder of vegan shoe brand Fonsen, and this is Fonsen Voices. Fonsen Voices is a podcast series where we give a voice to the next generation of leaders and explorers. In each episode, our guests share everyday stories of living out their values through work and creativity, offering their own definition of sustainability and ways of thinking long-term. These interviews are insightful and empowering, inspiring reflection and action. Suki is the co-founder and creative director of our brand Fonsen. She's also my wife and the mother of our two-year-old daughter, Soa. She's had many lives. She first developed a precocious interest for shoes at the age of four. She kept this passion on the back burner while becoming a National Portrait Gallery artist and competing in cycling, enjoying the climb of Surrey's steepest hills. Her teenage years behind her, she was selected to join one of the first cohorts of IBM's design program in Texas, where she learned the principles of user experience when it was still a new thing. She went on to design web interfaces for Moo, a high-end design print business in London where we met, and then helped rethink government services for the UK at the social impact agency Snook. In this interview, we talk about parenthood, long-term decision-making, and the influence of her professional experiences on footwear as an art and experience. Without further ado, stay put for Suki Baudouin. Thank you for joining me on this episode of uh, Fonsen Voices. It's so nice to uh, have you here as my wife and co-founder and be able to uh, interview you about things I may already know, but uh, things I, I'm very delighted to hear about all the time, actually. <laughs> so I thought we could start with your early beginnings and interests in making shoes. Can you take us back in time and talk about your first interaction with footwear? Well, from as young as I can remember, probably even two, I was obsessed with shoes. I was told that when I went to my nursery, I would try and put my mum's shoes on. So I would put my red wellies on and then try and put them inside my mum's gold stilettos mm -hmm. and was very um, willful about that. I don't think they could have taken off the gold stilettos if they tried. <laughs> that, that was what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. and was always strongly willed about the kind of fashion I wanted to, to wear and the colours I wanted to wear. And then I think when I was around six or eight, I started drawing shoes obsessively and, and wanting to make them. And I'd make them out of cardboard or, or blocks of wood. And I have to make sandals so I'd kind of nail holes in and then strap lace around. And they, I think the making was probably more fun because the, the creations never quite came out as I wanted. Um, and there was one shoe I tried to create which was inspired by, I think it must have been a, a Vivian Westwood shoe that Madonna wore in a film. I think it was suddenly Susan. I just have this image of her running across the beach wearing, they were a mix of like ballet shoes and a rocking horse. <laughs> this big, huge platform. And I think there was rebellion and excitement tangled into that because I think I just took a massive piece of timber and then made a huge block inspired by this shoe and then attached a slipper to it and then glue ribbons and sequins and then that's when I came up with the idea of creating a company called herbivores which was essentially vegetarian shoes and it was a play on the idea of herbivores but it was I think h-e-r 
B with the number four S just because that was quite cool at the time. <laughs> um, and then I never really let that go. That was just in the back of my mind. I, I already had the idea that I didn't want to use leather with my shoes and like the idea of being vegetarian. And, and that wasn't something that was done at the time. And your relationship with animals had definitely an impact on the fact that you wanted those shoes to be vegan. I wouldn't say I'm a particular lover of animals, but I always felt sensitive to the fairness of the way we treated them. Um, and then when I would go in supermarkets, I just started to become more sensitive to meat being on sale. I, I really didn't like the idea that this life that was sacrificed was ultimately in a supermarket on a, a one pound shelf and it just it didn't feel like you were really valuing and taking care of the life that you took so then I started to think about organic and, and whether that felt fairer but organic wasn't really a thing at the time you could go to a butcher's and get free range sausages and you could specify which farm you wanted the, the animal to come from so you could explore how the animal had been reared but you couldn't just go to a supermarket and have those choices available so it was easier just to choose not to have meat I'd love to delve into your design process because as a painter it, it does relate to how you approach the design of footwear how did you get into painting? Um, I My focuses at school were acting, fashion and textiles and painting. I think when I went through teenhood, there was a lot going on. And I think I, I liked the escapism of painting, that you immerse so wholeheartedly into that space and you could sit with a painting for eight hours and time was lost. Um, and you just kind of live and breathe this world that you're creating in front of you was like a meditative practice mm -hmm. because the the style of my painting was photorealism or, or neurotic realism mixed with photorealism um and these paintings would take three or six months sometimes to create so i was sitting in front of a, a portrait or a landscape for a long period of time with that presence so you really had to be comfortable with that solitude and that routine can you tell us about the time you you created that painting for that grandmother from canada yeah so this was it was a commission from a family they were holding a memorial for their grandmother who passed away some time ago um, and their only captured memory of her was a blurry polaroid and they wanted to kind of solidify that and, and memorialize it and they were having a big party in Canada to to celebrate her life. I think it, it must have been 30 years, maybe 40 years since she passed. Um, and they wanted this painting to be the center of this party. So they had something to look towards in, in that celebration. And for newer members of the family to get to know who she was and, and see who she was. So... There was very little visual guidance. I couldn't sit with this person. I just had this this blurry Polaroid. Uh, so a lot of the work was to talk to members of the family to understand her and who she was, what she wanted to wear, how she wanted to see herself. She really liked to dress well. 
Um, she wore very cool 70s long lace um, and she always had her hair sculpted and pinned up um, and lots of those features weren't captured so a lot of the work was to kind of make the essence of that it, it was from my imagination so I worked with this Polaroid and my understanding of, of who she was uh, I think I, I worked on it for two months and then the night before I was meant to send it to Canada I was looking at this portrait and it didn't feel like the person I had grown to know through the family. And I was in a very small studio flat at the time, which was pretty grotty and was painting in the same room that I slept and hadn't slept for 24 hours to try and get this painting done. And I think there was a mouse crawling across my <laughs> floor, which I had to ignore because I was still painting and made the decision last minute, I think with something like 12 hours to go, that this wasn't the person that I wanted to depict. It wasn't the person I was trying to capture. So I took a piece of cloth and soaked it in white spirit and pulled it across the canvas, taking the wet surface of paint off and started again and then painted solidly until this wet painting had to be shipped to Canada. And it was incredible. It was exhilarating because I think the... By that point, I really knew who she was and who I wanted to create. And I almost had to make that mistake and get it wrong to have more focus. And then created this box to enable this to be shipped wet. Um, it went to the party the next day. They presented it as a wet painting. But the chap that asked for the painting, when he opened it, he cried. And so did the rest of his family because they were so moved that this was the essence of the grandmother they remembered so it was worth it and so you've used the empathy you've corralled through painting and placed it into your ux practice how did you segue into uh, ux i started to feel quite isolated in my painting practice because as i said it's, it's a really difficult process it's it, it because of the style of painting, it's not energetic or vigorous. It's, it's really a discipline and a meditation. And I started to explore or collaborate with other designers for small commissions. And it started off in advertising. But I really liked the experience of sharing minds and sharing ideas. I think once I, I started dabbling in that practice and evolved into UX as the industry changed. So I started in editorial design, which had lots of similarities. That's about layout and balance and understanding the beauty and the uh, nuances of typography, of art direction. But as editorial was then taken into digital, and in the early days that, that was taken into an iPad, but then digital content, kind of became websites i then evolved into ux which actually felt very similar to the approach and the experience of painting and understanding who you're creating for and why and the purpose and value you're you're contributing mm -hmm. can you tell us how it helped into approaching a digital product and so forth to me it, it's quite natural to move from painting to to ux just the output is very different but you are essentially trying to understand I guess the business is the person asking for the painting so you want to understand what what they want from a digital product 
how they want people to move through it, how they want people to perceive it, what the outcome is, if they need to buy something, if they need to achieve something through a service. And then you have the customer, the the user, and you need to understand how to help them achieve those goals. So the process is in parallel. You spend time with them, you understand the user, you profile that user, you profile the business, and you try to create something that, that works for everyone. And there's an aesthetic part to that, understanding the brand of the business, how they want to be conveyed, what will be attractive to the user, what will entice them. So the processes feel very similar, but the artifact varies. Uh, if I understand correctly, you also were cycling professionally or competing at least? Competing. I wouldn't say professionally. Competing. Mm -hmm. I'd race a lot. I was painting and making clothes, making shoes. And I started cycling a bit later, maybe 20s even. I wasn't particularly sporty, but I seemed to have the right body shape and a sense of fearlessness attributed well to cycling. And perhaps dangerously so, an appetite for pain. <laughs> so I would love encountering hills and cycling up hills and really pulling my whole body into that. So I raced a lot at weekends and would cycle 30 miles a day. But I, I don't think, I don't think I ever thought this was something that I could utilize as a profession. Until now, I could see that that probably was an opportunity. But I always saw myself as a creative and that cycling didn't fit within that idea a few years later you decided to have children yes we met and and, and so can you tell us about the, the series of events or, or decisions that this precipitated i think the decision to have a child was the beginning of everything i think we started the idea of having a baby maybe five years ago and at that time I was suffering with EDS which was affecting my my joints and my mobility and day to day that meant I was in a lot of pain and we hadn't found a way to make my lifestyle easy or comfortable so we started researching and finding different lifestyle hacks that would make everything a bit easier and also enable my body to to carry a child which we uh, thought might carry a huge risk so it, it was a long journey I think it started with simple things like not having caffeine stopping smoking at the time um, and then we started thinking about our work and whether the nine to five system could support the needs of parenthood and whether our jobs was something that we wanted to give our energy to. Um, I was working as a UX designer within a, a startup where the churn was high, I mean, the churn for people and the churn for products. And we were working on apps that probably had a, a lifespan of three months, no more. So they would be released on the app store and then were expected to be degraded quite quickly. And I think it, it, it just didn't feel sustainable And even though it's difficult to think about the sustainability of tech, it's quite an abstract idea. You are essentially using energy, electricity, service base. So creating things that are expected to degrade so quickly didn't feel 
comfortable. Mm -hmm. So we started to think about where we wanted to put our energy. Um, and then I think that's where the idea of Fonsen started. What was your vision to begin with? The first idea was materials. We wanted to create a vegan shoe. We wanted to make sure that all the components, the glues, the upper, the insoles, the heels, weren't using animal products. And at the time, there wasn't a shoe designed in a way that luxury leather shoes were created. There, there was a market for high fashion shoes and there was a market for fast fashion shoes, but nothing really in between that was more classic and simpler in style. Um, so we really wanted to kind of cater for that market and create a product that utilizes all the processes of handmade shoes but just change those materials. Um, but I think as it evolved, the materials are something that we were able to kind of replace and master, I guess, quite early on. Um, there's so many other facets to it. It's not just the materials. It's how long the design will last and the product will last and the, the lifespan that you build into it and the business as well is, is creating a business that operates in a way that's not driven to require radical growth it's a business that can evolve slowly sensitively and carefully so it's not forced to to run it it can just find its path organically so you've talked about how uh, materials can contribute to uh, sustainability how about the design itself of the shoes you've talked about creating a uh, classic designs yeah for me that's a really important part of sustainability is creating something that is outside of fashion that's designed to last and the isabel is inspired by ballet and for anyone that's danced when they they were younger anything associated with ballet has this magic nostalgia the the leotards the tutus the ballet shoes the music it carries this Um, femininity and freedom and joy and we wanted to design something that harnessed that in a way that was practical as well so the Isabel is somewhere between a tap shoe and a ballet shoe but can be worn in an everyday way it's not over designed it's it's very simple classic elements um the heel is 1.5 inches it's meant to be the perfect height for for people to walk in it's the, the perfect comfort i think how we've evolved we're not meant to walk in completely fat shoes it actually helps have a little bit of elevation um there isn't many lines or contours it's it's only two pattern pieces that create the upper so the beauty of the wood the ribbon it's simple aesthetic details within a kind of an ecosystem of design that's understated but very balanced it's a design that will endure fashion it's, it's not designed to be sympathetic to fashion it should be practical and elegant and beautiful and how has parenthood influenced uh, creating a business what you're chasing is slightly different i guess I, i've never really chased financial interest my goal was never really to make a business that 
was a success, which is probably the wrong way to look at it. But to create something that served value, that, that created shoes that people really loved and cared for and that was beautiful. But I think having Soa really kind of squeezes the essentials of that. Yeah, my daughter. All the extraneous stuff you let go of. So how you utilize your time has to be much more efficient. So you really focus on the areas that you believe in and let go of everything else, which practically speaking is quite helpful. It means day to day that you're putting your energy in a place that moves things forward effectively. Mm-hmm. I focus on the things that I know will create change and that I really care about. What excites you about the future of the company? When I started, it was about creating the product and making sure that we could create something that looked and felt like leather was completely vegan. Now, I think after having SOA, there's something about creating a business, a beautiful business that really excites me and bringing on new people and helping grow their talent and almost kind of creating a family and sharing what we love and we care for. Fonsen is, is something that's really close to us. Bringing other people into that is, feels really rewarding. Thank you so much for uh, sharing with us your uh, story. See you on the next episode. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fonsen Voices. This podcast was brought to you by Fonsen, a handmade vegan footwear brand founded by my wife Suki and myself PJ. Our atelier is based in East London, where our shoes are completely handcrafted by a small team of veteran artisans. We really care about making beautiful, lasting products, so each year we develop only one unique model. Our 2021 release is called the Isobel, a shoe for women inspired by tap dance and ballet. It characterizes Fonsen's cultural heritage, uniting classic Parisian elegance with London's modern minimalism. Have a look on Fonsen.com or find us on Instagram at Fonsen. The music intro and outro were composed and performed by An Eagle in Your Mind. Take care and stay safe.